Genesis chapter 1. We're continuing our uh, new and exciting series called What a Mighty God We Serve. Today we're going to be looking at God's creation, mankind. God's creation, mankind. So we explored uh, last week, we started where? We started from the beginning. So uh, in the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth, and so we reflected on the fact that there are three primary thoughts about the origin of the cosmos, the origins of life, and uh, one of those thoughts was this, all came from something, the second thought was this, all came from nothing, and the third thought was this, all came from someone. And so as we looked at the creation account, uh, we see that it is God, the self-existent one, who created all things. He is the unmade creator. He is the unmade maker. He had no beginning and he will not have an end, for he is what? He is eternal. God is eternal. And so we noted that not only is he eternal, which means that he doesn't have a beginning and he doesn't have an end, but we noted that as we went through Genesis chapter 1, we read this over and over again. He spoke, and it was so, and it was done. And so uh, God, as he spoke in creation, uh, the, there, was, there was no rebellion. Everything was good. And so over and over again we read, he spoke, and it was so. And so today we want to look at the creation of man because the creation of man reveals something that is true about God. And so what we want to do is we want to just read just our, our opening text this morning, and so I'll have you stand out of respect for God's word, and we're just going to be reading just two verses this morning. This is Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26, and it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let's go ahead and stop there, and we'll ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord, we do pray that you would meet with us. Thank you, Lord, for another opportunity to gather together as your people, as your church. Lord, as we focus this morning on the creation of man, it does reveal several things about you, and really even more than what we're going to cover this morning, but I do pray that, that our hearts would be encouraged. May you be magnified this morning. May you be glorified this morning as we again look at this creation account in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So last week, we, we talked about the fact that there are some in the world that don't, don't believe that there's a God. And so they look towards one of these uh, other uh, options, all came from uh, something, such as the Big Bang Theory, or all simply popped into existence. And they remove God uh, completely out of the equation because they say they don't believe that there is a God. Therefore, God could not have created the heavens, and the earth. But there's actually a second group that is also uh, fairly large, and this group is called the agnostic group. 
And so we might be familiar with agnosticism. And so there's two main views of, of this group. Number one, this view is this. If God exists, how could we know it? If God exists, how could we know it? And the second group says this. If God exists, how could, um, if God exists, he would be unknown. So one says, how could we know that God exists? The other says, if God does exist, then he would be unknown. And so a conversation with an agnostic might be something like this. I'm not sure if there is a God, but if there is, how could we know? How could we know? And so it's slightly different from uh, what we looked at last week, but this is their reasoning. Mankind is intelligent. We are always learning. And we learn through our senses. So we learn through seeing things. We learn through hearing things. We learn through tasting things. We learn through feeling things. And so they might uh, say, how do you know that you haven't simply learned about God? That's why you believe there is a God. Since everything in our brain has been learned from one of these senses. Either we've heard it, we've seen it, we've felt it, or we've tasted it. That's how we learn as, as humankind. And so how do you know that you haven't learned about God? And then the other side says this. They say, you know what? If there is a God, then we must be to him like ants are to us. Could we ever bring an ant into our family and discuss the big problems of life? We'd say, well, no, because an ant doesn't understand what you would be talking about. There's not a communication there. And they would say, see, that is what we mean by saying there could be a God, but if there is a God, we could never know him. He'd be so separated from his creation that we could just never understand who God is. And so these are the two views, the two ideas that come out of this idea of agnosticism. There might be a God, but how could we know if there's a God? But our passage today is going to reveal that not only do we know that there's a God, but that he's made himself known, and we can tell from the creation account. And so, and certainly, uh, if we think about this idea, this illustration of an ant compared to us, yes, if God was that separated from his creation, then yes, we wouldn't be able to know who God is. But notice what the creation account tells us. And the very first thing is this. Man was created in God's image. Man was created in God's image. We are not so far separated from God that we can't co comprehend a God or a creator because we are created in the image of God. Notice in verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So mankind is not created after its own kind, which is true of the rest of the creation. When you look at the creation account, you read over and over and over again, and those things were created after their kind. But when you get to mankind, it doesn't say after their own kind. It says 
in the image of God. Mankind is created differently than all the rest of creation. Mankind is created in the image of God. This idea of image here, own image, the idea here uh, in the Hebrew gives the idea of, of a carving. And so in the Old Testament, uh, they would often use this idea of image to communicate false gods. False gods made out of wood and stone. They were images of a different god, a foreign god, a false god. The same word that's used as the image of a false god is used here in our passage. So God created man in his image. So there's similarities between us and God. Now, are we God? No, we are not God. We are God's creation, but there are similarities between us and God. First of all, we were created with a spirit, with a soul. We don't see in the, in the creation account that this is true for all the animals and, and all of the things that God created. But I do believe this is so when we look at man. Man was created with a part of them that will live on after this life. So we are not simply made up of a physical body that we can touch and feel and see and hear. All right, We are also made up of a part of us you can't see and you can't touch and you can't hear. And that part of us is called our soul. And one day, as, as Christians, when we pass on eternity, we will live with God forever and ever and ever. But the Bible also communicates that those who pass on eternity without God will be separated from God forever and ever and ever in a place called hell because of their sin. And so one way that we are created differently than the rest of creation is the fact that we have a soul. We will live forever somewhere. All right, number two. The second way that we are created in the image of God. We are created with intelligence and will. Notice what it says in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. What I want to point out to you is why. Let them have dominion. All right? Dominion is the idea of a will, of a ruling. And so to be able to rule anything, you would have to have two things. Intelligence and a will, and you'd have to have intelligence to be able to complete that will. And so the fact that we are given dominion over this world says that we were created with intelligence. We were created with a purpose. All right, We were created with a will. And so God has intelligence. God has a will. And, and Obviously, our intelligence is not to be compared to God's intelligence, but we are nonetheless created with intelligence that is similar to God's intelligence. All right, we can reason things. We have the Holy Spirit in us that directs us to the right and godly things. And so we have been created with an intelligence and a will. 
The third way that we're created in the image of God is we have been created a fellowship. We have been created a fellowship. Prior to the fall of mankind, God regularly, regularly walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. That's what he did. He walked with Adam and Eve. They had regular fellowship. He was not distant from his creation. He fellowshiped with his creation. We as mankind, we fellowship. All right? And uh, if, if uh, COVID has taught us anything, uh, it's how much we need fellowship, how much we need community, how much we need one another. And so we have been created a fellowship with God. We have been created a fellowship with one another. We are not like carved images made of wood and stone that have no desire for fellowship. All right, my, my, uh, one of my daughters, uh, they, they asked to bring a rock to school. And so uh, what did she bring? She brought her pet rock. She actually took some of uh, those googly eyes and, and put that on the rock. And, and uh, she would say, oh, I hope, I, I, what is his name, Rocky? Oh, no, 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 is Barack Obama. And, and she would water him. She would spray him with a squirt bottle. And, of course, the, so, the stone would suck in all of the water. And so she had a rock. Now, she could show as much love to that rock as she wants. But guess what? That rock will never, in turn, love her back. For it is not an intelligent being. But we have been created a fellowship, to fellowship with God. God desires to fellowship with us, and he desires for us to fellowship with him. We are not distant from our creator. Instead, we are created in his image. We are created to fellowship with the Lord. And so first of all, as we think about this idea of creation and the creation of mankind, we have been created in the image of God. We are not distant from God. We are created in his image. Number two, God cares for his creation. God cares for his creation. Now, when we read the Genesis account, we read all over the place that what God has made was good. So I'm going to illustrate this morning uh, what I'm talking about very quickly. We're not going to cover all the verses uh, in chapter 1, but just a handful. And God saw the light, and it was what? And it was good. Notice the next one. And God called the dry land earth and the water as were gathered together, and he called seas, and God saw that it was what? Good. And then notice the next one. And the earth brought forth vegetation, each according to its kind, and God saw that it was what? Good. And then notice the next one. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, and God saw that it was what? Good. All right, you guys are catching on here. And then the very last verse, and we pointed this out last time, and God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was what? Very good. It wasn't just a, 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 an art, a work of art. This was a masterpiece. This was from left to right, from top to bottom. God had created something perfect. And so that is what God created. Everything was very good but did you know that in the creation account on day six, he did see there was something that was not good? We don't see it in chapter one. Instead, we see it in chapter two. And so notice here in chapter two, 
Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, when did this happen? This is day six. In the middle of day six, God looked at Adam and he said this, This is not good. Now, this is not to mean that God created something that was bad or sinful or evil, but instead what the text is really communicating here is there was something that was not complete. When God looked at Adam, he said, there is something that's not complete here. And so he says, I will make for him a helper fit for him. And so in creation, we see over and over again, everything was good. But on day six, when Adam was all by himself, things were not good. And that communicates some things that are true this morning about God. First of all, God understands the need of his creation. God understands the need of his creation. And so it's not the fact that God simply saw Adam and he had no power to do anything or that he didn't care to do anything. Matter of fact, I think God knew more of the importance of Eve than Adam did at this time. Adam probably didn't really realize how much he needed someone that was made like him. But you know, when God saw, he didn't simply see a need, he understood that need. As a matter of fact, God understands our needs today. As a matter of fact, this is why we read this in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, everlasting life. See, God realizes, he sees a need, but it's just not seeing, it's understanding the need and having the power to fix the need. And so God is not distant from his creation. God understands the needs of his creation. Number two, God supplies for his creation. God supplies for his creation. We could really look at illustration after illustration after illustration this morning. And because uh, that would end up being a very, very long message, and this one's already probably going to be a little bit long, we're not going to do that. But just think about, like, the ark. God's going to flood the whole earth, but God supplies the ark. Just think about uh, Abraham and all that he went through and how God supplied for him. Think about Moses and how God supplied for him. Think about the people of Israel and what they went through and how God supplied for them. And think about the disciples of today, Christians of today, the church, and how God supplies for us. You know, I've had a lot of wants over the years, but God has always given me what I need God has been good to me, my wife and my girls. He hasn't always given me everything I want, but he's given me everything I need to bring him glory. And the same thing is true of you today. You may not have all of your wants, but he has given you all of your needs to bring him glory. And so God supplies for his creation. And so let's review so this idea of being distant from God, it, we don't see in God's word. First of all, we see that we are created in the image of God. We are not like ants to humans. 
because we are similar to God in many fashions. All right, number two, God cares for his creation. He's not distant. He's actually involved in his creation. And number three, God partners with his, uh, with his, uh, partners with his mankind, partners with his creation. So now look at verse 19. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heaven and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Now notice what is revealed just in verse 19. Right? The Lord is the creator. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast. Okay, So we have God as creator. There's something that is, else is true from, from this verse right here. What is true about this verse is the fact that what this reveals about God is that he is creative in his creation. Because as he made things, he was able to sit them in front of Adam, and Adam was able to uh, name them. Adam was able to tell the differences between one creation and another creation. So I don't think there was ever a time when God was creating things that Adam said, did we already do this this animal? Did I already name this one? No? Well, I believe you because you're God. How about we name it this? I don't think it was like that at all. I think everything was created in a very unique way. And as God brought them to Adam, Adam would say, oh, wow, that is even more amazing. How about we name that this? Wow, and that one has wings? Let's name that this. Wow, and that one slithers on the ground? Hey, let's name that this. And so I think that there is a, a lot here about God's creative uh, intelligence as he made creation, but there's also something that is true here about man. Man was able to see, and he called them something. That means that man was also intelligent. That when a creation was brought before Adam, Adam didn't scratch his head and go, uh, uh. He didn't. He was able to name everything. He was able to fellowship with God from day one. He didn't have to learn how to fellowship. He was created with intelligence. He was able to fellowship with God, to work alongside God, to partner with God in naming creation. Of course, did God need Adam to name the animals? Well, no, he didn't. But he did partner with Adam to name the animals. And so notice that very last line there. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. Now there's something else that's true about this statement here. Adam called all the creation. He named them all. But we never read that Adam named God. For God named himself. Adam only named the creation God set before him. And so again, God is not a creation. He is the unmade creator. He is the self-existent one. All right, so what does this reveal? Well, when we think about this idea of partnership with mankind, first of all, we are to be good stewards of what God has given to us. God is obviously sovereign over this world, but he has given the responsibility to mankind to take care of what he has created. Now, sometimes I hear Christians talk about uh, uh, not caring uh, for the earth. 
And I don't think that that's what we see in the Genesis account. I see that the job that Adam and Eve were given was really to be good stewards of the earth that was created for them. And so they were to be good stewards. We know this through the creation account. First, we are image bearers of God. That is, we are God's representatives on earth. And so really there's two ways that that God told Adam and Eve to bring him glory. When we think about this idea, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. There was two good works that was communicated to Adam and Eve. All right, there was two things they were supposed to do. Number one, this is the first thing they were supposed to do, fill the earth. Fill the earth. God commanded Adam and Eve to go out and start a family. Start a family. And of course, this gives us a great opportunity to talk about the family. And of course, in today's culture, the family continues to be under attack. Within the biblical guidelines of marriage, the one flesh relationship is good and it's godly. Matter of fact, there's a whole book in the Bible dedicated to the topic of love. However, sadly, today we live in a world that has perverted and changed what God created as good and godly. You know, in, in Jesus' day, there was, there was a debate going on about... Uh, about uh, divorce and, and remarriage. And, and so there were, there were some people in, in the Jewish community that said, absolutely not, you can't do this. And there were others that would say, yeah, yeah, that's, that's fine to do that. And so there was, there was two really, really strong views. It was actually a very dividing issue during Jesus' time. It would be like if somebody asked Jesus, are you a Democrat or Republican? And uh, that would be a dividing issue in the world, well, in the United States at least. And uh, so that was the question that, that was asked. What do you think about divorce? And this is Jesus' reply. I'm sorry, let's see here. I, I must have missed a couple. So we're thinking about the family here. And so um, this is uh, Jesus' reply. This is in Matthew 19. Starting in verse 4, it says this. And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. That sounds familiar. It's because it's read oftentimes at weddings, at Christian weddings. Because Jesus Christ really takes back or or communicates what we just looked at, this idea of the original creation of Adam and Eve. And so maybe you're here today, and, and, and as we, well, first of all, as we think about that, that picture of, of marriage, it's really a, a picture of, uh, in the Bible at least, it's a picture of Christ's love for the church, God's love for his creation. But maybe you're here today and you say, well, you know, I've been divorced and, and I've been remarried. So now what? Well, there's nothing you could do about that. Right? There's nothing you could do about that. What you just got to do is you got to say, hey, you know what? Jesus forgave all of my sins, past, present, and future. And you just rely on that. God has forgiven my sins. But if you're here married today, I believe divorce should always be the last resort. 
You should always try reconciliation first to see whether or not things can be put back together before they're separated forever. And so reconciliation is the path that Christian couples should take, not divorce. That should be a last resort. Or it should just be taken off the table completely. Now, if you aren't married and you're involved in sexual immorality, you need to stop. You need to make things right. Right? That's another attack on the home. Uh, in today's world, it's okay for people just to live together and, and for someone to have several mates in life that they're never married to. Within the biblical guidelines of marriage, that, that, that one flesh relationship is good and godly. I mean, at the very beginning, this was their goal. God said, go and fill the earth. Go and have a family. That was the command. But that was within the confines of that biblical family. And so God's desire was that mankind spread out and fill the earth to subdue and care for the earth. So they were supposed to have a family, and then they were supposed to have kids, and their kids were supposed to have kids, and they were supposed to spread out to take care of the creation. So number one, the first thing, the way that they were to give God glory was to go and have a family, to fill the earth. Number two, to subdue and care for God's creation. And so notice there in verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. They were supposed to go out and take care of the earth. Now that word subdue means to train it. And so notice what happens here in verse 5. So when no brush of the field was yet in the land and no small plants of the field were yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. So as God looked out, he saw what he had created. But there was no man that was there to work the ground, to take care of the ground, to subdue and care for his creation. So then we read this in verse 7, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man from whom he had formed. And why did he do that? Why, why was the very first place that Adam went was to the garden? Because Adam was supposed to take care of the garden. Adam was to subdue and to care for God's creation. And so again, God is not distant from his creation. Instead, God partners with his creation. Now, we're not going to look at all the ways that God partners uh, with his creation with mankind. We could. There's, there's a lot of ways that God has partnered uh, with um, believers. But one way that always stands out to me is through prayer. Through prayer. That, did God need Adam to take care of the earth? No. Did God need Adam to name the animals? No. Does God need our prayers? Need our prayers? No. But God nonetheless partnered with Adam to name the animals. God partnered with Adam to take care of the earth. God partners with Christians, with believers in prayer. And so we see this in the Old Testament. We see this in the New Testament. 
men and women believed that God listened and answered prayer. And why? Because he does listen and answer prayer. Again, this idea that God is so separated from his creation, there's no way that we could ever know God, is just not what we see from the Bible. What we see is a God who is connected, who listens to his creation. We are partnering with Jesus, or with, with the Lord. Matter of fact, as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said this, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Prayer is not about my will. It's not about the will of Wilton Bible Church. It's not about the will of, of the leadership. It's not about the will of the president or whoever may be part of creation. When you think about the will and you think about prayer, it's about God's will. And what we're doing is now we're not saying, God, give me everything I want. May my will be done. Instead, really, our prayer should be, may your will be done. That's partnering with God in prayer. So prayer is a partnership with God to accomplish His will on earth, which means our eternal, sovereign, creator partners with his creation to accomplish his will. Does he need our help? No. But he partners with us nonetheless. Our creator God is not distant or uncaring, but he is personal and attentive to our needs. There are many ways that we could discuss this partnership with his creation, but we're going to stop there this morning. So let's review. Agnostics. They claim that, they, that God just is not knowable. That, that if, if there is a creator and that he has all of this power, he'd be so distant from his creation that we could just never know him. But today we've seen that we are created in the image of God to have a relationship with his creation. God is not distant, but he is involved in our life and he cares for us. He loves his creation, and his love is evident in the fact that he sent his son to die in our place. Now think about um, uh, 9-11. I, I think about those, those many uh, firefighters and police officers that, that lost their life that day, really being heroes, those, those first responders. And the Bible says, you know what, someone might be willing to die for a good person, but we were God's enemies, and he died for us. And so God, in his love, he realized he didn't just see what we needed. He understood what we needed, and he sent his son to be the savior of the world. And so lastly, we are not here by accident. We have been designed for his glory, which brings us back to our theme verse. For we, as workmanship, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The Bible does not reveal to us a God who is distant from his creation. The Bible reveals to us a creator that wants a relationship with his creation. And this right here 
is one of the evidences in the fact that God wants us to know who He is. He has given us His Word so that we might know Him and what He has done for us. And so what a mighty God we serve. Someone who is, yes, creator, yes, sovereign, yes, eternal, and yet what? And yet we are made in His image, and yet He cares for us, and yet He partners with His creation. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we do thank You for who You are. Uh, we think about some of the views in the, in, in the world of, of unbelievers, and this idea that if there is a God, that we could never know God, and Lord, without your word, we wouldn't be able to know you. We could look around, and we could tell that there is a God based upon creation, but we would not know who you are unless you revealed yourself to us. Thank you, Lord, for making us in your image intelligent beings, that could learn you about you, that could love you in return. We're not images made of stone and wood that have no life. We are your creation with the ability to love you because of your love for us. Thank you, Lord, that you're not distant, that you have not just started creation and stepped back and just let it spin out of control but instead you are a God who is active in your creation. Thank you, Lord, on, on day six, that you looked at Adam, you didn't only see his need, you understood his need, and you were able to take care of his need. Thank you for giving to us. Lord, also thank you for your partnership with us. Lord, we think about the idea of, of Adam and Eve supposed to fill the earth and subdue it and take care of your creation. And we think about today as Christians that we have an opportunity to pray. Whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're old or young, whether you've been a Christian for a long time or a short time, and we can do that anywhere and everywhere and at all times. Thank you, God. You are a personal God a God that wants to hear from us, God, a God that wants to use us, partner with us to accomplish your will. And so thank you, Lord, for being our personal God, our creator, and our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.